You don't really need to know, or probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, there are some shocking cancer trial results, a 3D printing breakthrough, and there's a new super fruit in town. But first, it was on this day in 1979 that the Gossamer Albatross successfully flew across the English Channel. The flight lasted two hours and 49 minutes, and with Brian Allen as pilot and cyclist, he became the first person to cross the Channel in a human-powered aircraft. It was a small trial. There were just a dozen rectal cancer patients and every one of them took the same drug, but the results were astonishing. It's absolutely incredible. We we didn't expect it. We've certainly never seen this before. Um, it's really what, you know, cancer doctors' dreams are made of. That was Dr. Andrea Sursek speaking with CNN. Sursek is an oncologist who was part of the research team that conducted that study. In the unprecedented clinical trial, all 12 patients saw their tumours disappear after they received an experimental cancer treatment with no chemo, no radiation and no surgery. And on top of that, none of the patients experienced significant side effects. Our patients feeling great after the treatment with completely normal body function uh, in something like rectal cancer where normally our therapies are, are really quite toxic. So it's absolutely incredible. The drug used is called dosarlimab. It's an immunotherapy which works by unlocking the body's immune system to fight cancer. And this type of therapy works in specific cancer cells in colorectal that are mismatch repair deficient. So it's a, they lack a gene that enables them to repair their, their DNA. And because of that, they have many, many mutations. And the immune system recognizes the cancer as foreign. And so when we give immunotherapy like dosarlimab, it really just revs up the immune system so that it sees the cancer and gets rid of it. But what's so remarkable here is that it completely eliminated the cancer. The tumors just vanished in all 14 consecutive patients. Normally, when this is used in colorectal cancer in patients with advanced disease, that happens in about 10% of patients. And here it's 100%. So that's really the most striking part of this is that it happened in every single patient after just six months of therapy. The trial involved only rectal cancer patients, but there's scope for broader use. The idea here is that we move this therapy from advanced disease into early stage disease. And clearly we're seeing that there is increased sensitivity when the tumors are early stage, when they are in their organ where they begin. And so our goal is to replicate this in other solid tumors such as stomach cancer, pancreas cancer, and bladder cancer that are mismatch repair deficient where they have this potential sensitivity to immunotherapy. And it can have huge implications, just as it did in these 14 patients where they didn't need radiation and they didn't need surgery. We may be able to achieve that as well in patients with stomach cancer where surgery may not be needed if they have the same type of remarkable response. The European Union has decided they've selected one charging port to rule them all and that charging port is a USB-C. New legislation means that any mobile electronic devices sold within the EU must come with a USB-C charging port by the end of 2024. Whilst the UK has not decided to follow suit, the new rules will apply to rechargeable mobile devices like phones, tablets, laptops, handheld game consoles, headphones and cameras in the EU. 
The idea is to simplify things for consumers and reduce waste because the theory goes that there'll be no need for us to have lots of different chargers sitting in the cupboard and more importantly, companies won't need to keep making them to put in every single phone box. That's resident tech reporter Chris Merriman. For most devices, that won't make much of a difference, but for one tech manufacturer in particular, it's going to mean a big shift. Most companies have already switched and Apple is making the move, somewhat reluctantly, I suspect, on future iPhones and iPads. Apple has always been one to set the latest tech trends, but the charge means that their signature lightning charger will soon become obsolete in the EU. There will be just one charging cable and one charging port. It sounds like an easy solution to the mess of cables next to your desk, but there's a slight catch. The problem with all this is that the USB-C standard's been around for several years and it's become a bit of a mess. For example, a USB-C phone charger either won't charge a laptop or will charge it really, really slowly. That's because they've all got different wattages and amperages and some phone companies are then trying to make their phones charge faster by using non-standard wattages and amperages. You know, on the new phone that you might have that's got ultra-fast charging, that's because it's not using the normal USB-C power standard. Though not all chargers are made equal, does that mean standardisation is going to be more of a challenge than it seems? It shouldn't be too much of a problem going forward as things standardise but there's going to be a lot of chargers already out there and more importantly there are an awful lot of cheap nasty USB cables that don't send the right current down so there's a, a risk that if you buy a new phone and then you use a really old USB-C charger or a cheap nasty cable, you could fry it on day one. It used to happen all the time with computers when uh, the USB-C standard first came out. So for that reason, for the EU move to actually have any effect, it's going to take a huge public information campaign to make sure everyone understands that USB-C isn't always USB-C. And that's going to get interesting. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a parasite that makes you more attractive and scientists 3D print an ear from human cells. While catching something normally makes us worse for wear, there's one cunning parasite that makes its hosts look better. A new study led by the University of Turku in Finland has found that a common parasite, Toxoplasmosis gondii, may make people look more attractive to the opposite sex. Whilst it's famously known as a cat poo parasite, you can also get it through contaminated food or water. And more recently, it's been shown to be sexually transmitted too. Whilst this parasite is not deadly. It is important to say that this infection can represent serious problems for pregnant women, since this parasite might interfere with the optimal development of the baby. That was study leader and biologist Javier Borazleon. Alongside pregnant women, he warned that people with suppressed immune systems can also be at risk. In these cases, infected subjects can develop severe complications associated with infection. However, even though it has been estimated that between 30 and 80% of the global population could be infected with Toxoplasma gondii, the infection usually causes only a mild disease. So the parasite probably won't kill you, but it could make you hotter. To figure this out, Javier and his team compared photos of people who were or weren't infected with the parasite. As well as having their photos taken, various measures were also taken to determine their overall health. 
health, including body mass index and hand grip strength. Other data collected, including the number of minor ailments, self-perceived attractiveness and the number of sexual partners. Then new people were recruited to evaluate their attractiveness and perceived health of the participants. When analyzing all the data together, we found that toxoplasma-infected subjects had lower facial fluctuating asymmetry than uninfected ones. In other words, those infected individuals have more symmetrical faces than non-infected ones. When broken out by sex, we found that the results remain the same for toxoplasma-infected men. That is to say, infected men are more symmetrical than uninfected ones, whereas toxoplasma-infected women had lower body mass index and showed a tendency for higher facial symmetry, higher self-perceptions of attractiveness, and a higher number of sexual partners than uninfected women. So how does the parasite do this? I think this is a difficult one since the molecular mechanisms by which this parasite manipulates host physiology behavior as well as physical traits, which also influences appearance, are not well known. However, experimental evidence in rodents have shown that these effects may be mediated by brain neurotransmitters and sex and stress hormones and their impact on the brain. Thus, it is feasible to suggest that the behavioral and physical changes observed in toxoplasma-infected subjects, including human beings of course, could be linked to the effects of this parasite on the brain architecture as well as in the synthesis and regulation of neurotransmitters and esteroid hormones. As for the reasons why, the parasite just seems to be doing what parasites do best. Well, it is well known that Toxoplasma gondii needs to reach its definitive host, which usually is a domestic cat, to reproduce sexually. And one effective way to do it would be by manipulating host's behavior, such as it has been described for the fatal attraction phenomenon, in which Toxoplasma infection blocks the innate aversion of rats for cat urine, increasing the likelihood of a cat predating an infected rat. And similar results have also been observed for infected chimpanzees, infected hyenas, and infected humans. And, well, there is also evidence showing that male rats that have been experimentally infected with Toxoplasma gondii have some changes in their testosterone levels and are also more sexually attractive and preferred as sexual partners by non-infected females, which experimentally shows that the direction of the effect is Toxoplasma gondii infection producing changes in physiology, behavior and physical traits rather than the other way around. Following this study, Javier is keen to keep exploring how else this parasite can manipulate our bodies. For example, we are interested in looking for the effects of Toxoplasma gondii infection in several psychological and physiological characteristics, such as changes in ejaculate parameters, sociosexual orientation, regulation of neurotransmitters and hormones, as well as in looking for physiological costs and benefits associated with Toxoplasma infection in healthy subjects. As you can hear, there is still a lot of work to do. A 20-year-old woman from the United States has become the first recipient of a 3D-printed ear implant using human cells. The patient was born with a small and mishappen right ear and has received what is being called the first bioprinted living tissue implant. We believe this is the first time that a company has printed a whole living engineered construct uh, and implanted into a patient to replace a body part that the patient was either born without or has lost due to trauma or disease. 
That was Daniel Cohen, CEO and co-founder of a company called 3D Biotherapeutics. The ear was made from the patient's own cells, which were grown in their New York lab. The implant was printed in a shape that matched her other ear and will continue to regenerate cartilage tissue, which will help it to look and feel like a natural ear. Nathaniel Backrack is the executive vice president of 3D Biotherapeutics, and he's looking forward to what this could mean for other patients in the future. What's really exciting about the work we're doing is the integration of all of the different technologies that are out there to achieve things that no one's been able to do before. We can put these uh, manufacturing technologies, materials technologies, cell therapy technologies together to create new solutions for the unmet needs that patients have. A clinical trial is underway in 10 other patients with microtia, a rare congenital ear deformity. The new technology requires less invasive surgery, but the company hopes the technology could eventually be used to make other replacement body parts, including noses and spinal discs. Still to come on the Sunday 7, cranberries could be the next memory superfruit and a festival experience with a twist. Right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. It's officially summer, which means it's festival season. Think muddy fields, weird body paint, and of course, amazing music. Whilst festivals have been made more inclusive over the years with sign language interpreters for some headlining acts, people who are deaf and hard of hearing often miss out on the full experience of a live performance. Now, Telecom's giant Vodafone has created a potential solution, a haptic bodysuit. The suit allows users to feel the music through multi-sensory feedback delivered through vibrations across 24 touch points on the wrists, ankles and torso. You'll feel vibrations on lots of different points and it will relate to the music that you're listening to. This helps provide an immersive sensory experience inspired by the deaf and hard of hearing community. The suit was first tested by Cos Springgate at this year's Mighty Hoopla Festival in London. To wear a harness and on the harness you have these different sounds with different vibrations per sound. Um, Obviously as the concert was going on you had to like the vibrations were coming through. Scott was born deaf and had to learn to lip-read at a young age to understand what was going on around him. The normal festival experience can sometimes be difficult for people who are hard of hearing, as artists can hold the microphone close to their face, which can make it difficult to lip-read. At the festival, headlined by Anastasia and Jessie Ware, you could experience them in a whole new way. I've experienced like the speakers before, to stand really close to like a speaker. I've experienced that kind of vibration, but to actually have on your body that like sound wow wow but if I could use that technology and it was more available I definitely would be more likely to go to new festivals that I haven't been to before um because it's a great experience
The saying goes, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. But now there's a new fruity contender. Enter the humble cranberry. A new study from the University of East Anglia looked at the health impact of consuming a cup of cranberries a day in adults aged 50 to 80. Researchers found the unassuming berry could significantly improve memory as well as brain function. Dr. David Vauzor is Senior Research Fellow in Molecular Nutrition and he led the research. What we observed was following 12 weeks intake, participants were having a better episodic memory, which is the everyday memory. And this was paralleled by an improvement in the blood flow across the broken by a better perfusion to the brain, which brings some more nutrients, more oxygen to the brain, which might explain the positive effect here. What is it about cranberries that makes them this memory superfruit? Well, cranberries are very rich in compounds called polyphenols, uh, which are antioxidants. And they are packed with a very particular type of polyphenols called procyanidins, which are kind of big molecules uh, and are not easily absorbed. So they're going to be uh, metabolized by your gut microbiota and produce some very nice uh, metabolites afterwards which may impact on on brain function if you're thinking there's no way i'm going to find fresh cranberries in my local david has some alternative suggestions we investigated the cranberry powder which is indeed actually the whole fruit whether the cranberry juice may have the same benefit possibly as long as it is a hundred percent unsweetened there's more likely to, to probably provide the same effect so a serving about maybe a glass of cranberry juice, if it's 100% pressed fruits, then might be actually as beneficial as, as the powder provided uh, our participants. As for the broader implications of the study? Well, it, it's actually difficult to say because the, the population we investigated here is a healthy aging population. So people were uh, not demented or not having any cognitive uh, decline. So that would be the next step of of the work uh, to see whether these particular products and cranberry could have an effect in people with neurodegeneration or cognitive decline. So we would be looking into this later. Before you rush out to buy anything with cranberries in it, David has some words of caution. Even though cranberries are off fruits or, uh, you know, they may seem not dangerous, uh, we have to, to make a not of caution because there are some potential interaction between blood thinning medications like warfarin and cranberry. So I would advise to seek your GP's advice before taking any of these products, just to be on the safe side. does a healthy ocean reef sound like? Scientists are using AI to spot the difference between a healthy and degraded one. They say that a healthy reef is full of clicking noises. You can see on this healthy reef we've got these sounds that come up every now and then that's uh, croaking from a fish we often hear on these healthy sites, whereas on the degraded reef this is missing. That was Ben Williams, lead author of the Marine Soundscape Study. Coral reefs cover just 1% of the ocean floor, but they support more than 25% of marine biodiversity. Scientists hope this new AI system can help conservation efforts. 
our next plan is to start sending out recorders around the world. So we're looking at Mexico, the Great Barrier Reef, the US Virgin Islands, all kinds of places that we're hoping to work with where they have their own reef restoration projects going on. And we'll send them these sound recorders and start collecting data from reefs they have nearby that are healthy and degraded. And then we'll use this to compare that to their restored sites. And this will hopefully help support them in monitoring the progress of their restoration, which is really important to any project. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.